Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to the book of Daniel, chapter 10, Daniel chapter 10. If you weren't with us last time, we covered the 70th week of Daniel. And, and that's a, a fascinating highlight of the Bible. Looking at God's unfolding plan prophetically in Daniel chapter 9. That's posted on our app, on our website. Go and and listen to it, watch it, uh, just put it on while you're working out or while you're cleaning the house, whatever you might be doing, get the Word of God inside of you. Another thing that I've been doing uh, that I want to encourage you is go to my website, edtaylor.org, as this is broadcast all around the country, all, even around the world, I began to write more on prophecy there. So we're living in the last days, and I was just looking at what I've been writing on. I wrote a lot on grief. I love writing, and I have a podcast on spiritual leadership. But man, let's talk about prophecy. And that's where we are in Daniel. So I've been posting a lot on prophecy. For example, you know, the, the big question when we're teaching this study is, is the COVID-19 coronavirus God's judgment upon the United States? If you want my answer on that biblically, go to my website. I just posted it yesterday and I think it will encourage you. We come to a new chapter today, chapter 10, and I've entitled it, Desperation Changes Us desperation changes us. Have you ever been desperate for something? I mean, ever really wanted something so bad that it moved you emotionally, kind of made you desperate? I mean, think of it on a little, on a smaller scale. You know, there are, there are times when I'm in a hurry, I've got an appointment, I've got to be somewhere, a person to me. So I gather up my stuff and I put this over here and I have this over by the garage door and then I can't find my keys. And I can't find my keys. So, so I'm in a hurry. Uh, I'm looking for my keys. Hey, Marie, where are the keys? Not in my pocket, not in my jacket, not upstairs, not on the floor. I kind of have a routine so that this doesn't happen to me, but it still does, even with a routine. And in a very small way, I become frustrated, but I also become desperate. Why didn't I just put them back in the place that I can remember them? Why didn't I just put them on the hook? And frustration, desperation, Webster's Dictionary defines desperation as this, and I quote, involving or employing extreme measures in an attempt to escape defeat or frustration. And let's face it, losing my keys really is not, no big deal. And now on my keys, I bought one of those little things that will beep if I pull out my app and I, say, I click it. And I, let me tell you, one time I had to do that and I had take, gotten a ride with my son coming home or something and my keys were here in the building. And I'm like, oh, oh, I don't know. When I look at my life, I have to say there have been times and seasons where I've become desperate again for the things of God. Now I know you're in uh, Daniel chapter 10. Hold your place there. Turn over to the New Testament to Matthew's gospel chapter 6. Because if there's something that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6, it's the importance of desperation. Can I just ask you, are you desperate for the things of God yet? Like, are you desperate or are you still in a place of apathy? Have you answered the wake-up call of God? Because I hope you have. There, there's times when I haven't been desperate, where I've gotten into a place of comfort and ease, 
And yet there have been times when I'm desperate for the things of God. Listen, we have been in a place of great strain for some time now. Has it woken you up yet? Are spiritual things still routine for you? Is your life with Jesus too predictable? You know, I agree with the psalmist when he said, jot it down in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, as the old King, or the new King James, in the New Living Translation, renew a loyal, I like that, renew a loyal spirit within me. And listen, friend, no matter when you're listening to this, we are living now in a season where God is drawing out from us a deeper dependence upon him. A deeper dependence and desperation. And notice in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Really, pick up with me in verse 31, would you? Matthew chapter 6. Well, let's go back and <clears throat> go back to verse 24. Let's do Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus is teaching here. Listen, listen to what he says. I mean, just picture yourself sitting there on the mountainside listening to Jesus. No one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be a slave to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink, enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can I just pause for a second about the birds? Every springtime, so I'm expecting it now, the birds are going to come to my house, and there's a set of birds that live on my porch, and then there's a set of birds that build a nest up there, and then they, on either, they're all around, they kind of post themselves, they, they know the time, and they post themselves all around on the roofs of the houses around us, and then they start dive bombing us when we walk out our front lawn, because they, our front door, as we're heading out the front door, because they think they own our house. They don't pay me rent, they don't pay a mortgage, uh, and yet they don't worry. They, 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 like, they depend upon my house. And you know what? God has provided my house to them. God has provided a place. And whether it's the birds that come to roost on my porch or that stinking woodpecker, and I hope he doesn't come back. I think I've scared him off. Uh, you know, they don't allow you to do stuff to woodpeckers in Colorado, so you just have to yell at them, scream at them, and I would yell at him and scream at him, and I hope he doesn't come back. But even the woodpecker thinks he owns my house. The birds think they own my house. The rabbits think they own my house. And Jesus is saying, look, look around. Just look around. The rabbits aren't worried. The birds aren't worried. The coyotes aren't worried. Nobody, none of the animals are worried. They know that things are going to be provided for them. No, but who worries? You and I, we worry. We worry. And, and Jesus asks, you know, you look at the birds and you look around, you look at the flowers, you look at everything, then, then what is worrying adding to your life? I think that's just a word from the Lord. I wanted to jump in a little bit later, but God had me go back. Like, listen, can your, listen to Jesus, can your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer is no. So why do you worry about clothing, he says, verse 28. This is Matthew 6. We're going to get into Daniel 10 in a moment. But look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work. They don't make their clothing. 
Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, listen, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Or you might have memorized it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Six times in this section we're told by Jesus not to worry. Because worry literally means to choke or to strangle. And he says, don't allow the cares and concerns of life, eating, drinking, and what clothes to wear. Don't let them strangle faith and your relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't let it take the air out and the joy out of your relationship. Worry blinds us. It distracts us. And it strangles the life right out of us. And trust me, I'm a worrier. It's a plaguing area of my flesh. You know, whenever we bring someone on our team here, uh, I sit down with them and I give them a, an interview and we talk about the flesh a little bit. And we talk about little things in the flesh. And, and, and we talk about that so that when we know about them, we can hold you accountable to them and we can encourage you in them. And this is one for me. There are just times when I worry. And, and I'm telling you, almost every single time I've worried, God has come through. And it hasn't helped me. It's a lot like fog. You know, fog covering about eight blocks, fog covering about eight blocks contains like 60 trillion, and I don't know who counted all this, but 60 trillion droplets of water. And if you gathered all those droplets together, they would fill a half a cup, a half a cup. You know, not even this much maybe. I don't even know if this is a half a cup right here. All that fog. And yet that half a cup of moisture spread all over eight, eight blocks, shut down their ports, ties up cities, blinds drivers from the hazards in front of them. And you know, when I let this half a cup of thing come across my life, blind my thoughts, shut down my trust, when I'm up late at night, fretting and worrying and trying to think about solutions and you know, this was, you know, you're in a place where you, you're just, you know, you're in this danger zone when you start thinking like, I've got to figure this out. No, no. Seek the Lord. You don't need to figure anything out. God will give you wisdom. God will, God will give you wisdom to those who ask. And Jesus tells us, don't worry. But worry does place us in a position of desperation. We, we need to learn to turn our worries into dependent prayers. Because I look at things in my life and, you know, the things that I fretted about, the things that I worried about five years ago, I don't know what they are. I mean, I guess I could look up my diary. I, I could look up my prayer journal and I could say, oh, yeah, five years ago, this is what was on my mind. But I can't recall them today. I mean, I don't even know what I was worried about six weeks ago, six days ago, perhaps. And I love this. Just look at the birds. <laughs> look at the animals. Birds are in my backyard singing, building a nest with stuff they got from my house. <laughs> and they, they're taking out the worms from my backyard. 
they're, they're protecting their little nest as if they own it, but they don't pay me rent. And they're singing and enjoying. And the flowers are as beautiful as ever. I think, and jot this down in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. And isn't it true? Just so little faith. Why in verse 30 do we have so little faith? But the key is to seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. And the same is true for us. Listen, church, seek first the kingdom of God. Let the time in which we're in right now stir up a desperation. Frustrations are done away with, with desperation. Desperation for the things of God. If we don't cry out, if we don't long for the presence of power of God, then we're going to be stale and we're going to be dry and droughts await us and we're going to be worried and we're going to be fretting and we're going to be overwhelmed and we're going to be consumed with our own thoughts, stuck in our own heads, limited to our own ideas, which leads to despair and hopelessness. And here it is. Will it be despair or desperation? It's our choice. And so chapter 10 opens up with desperate Daniel. Desperation will change us. Notice in verse one, it's the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia. Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, had another vision. He understood that the vision concerned events certain to happen in the future. Times of war and great hardship. Verse two, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. All that time I'd eaten no rich food, no meat or wine crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. And so the captivity's just about over. Notice Cyrus is the king of Persia. That makes Daniel about 85, 90 years old. It's been some 72 years since the captivity, and he's still in Babylon, while others have already begun to return. And as chapter 10 opens, if you're taking notes, and you really should start taking notes, jot this down. I want you to note this. And by the way, there is curriculum available on our website, calvaryco.church, for your kiddos. There are coloring pages, coloring books. We put extra curriculum up there from the Calvary Chapel curriculum that we have a relationship with. So parents, just know that there are tools available to you. Parents, whether you're watching us online right now live or you're listening on the radio somewhere, there is curriculum available on our website under the Calvary Kids page so that you can help your kids grow as well. So I, I want you to see this. You take notes because even as you're, even as you are are watching us online or listening on the radio, you are modeling for your kids. This is a model for your spouse. And so make sure you're taking notes. Get a, get a notebook, a special notebook, so that you can take notes and you can use it as a prayer journal. Because look, listen, listen, the, the crisis that you're in right now is gonna pass. And you're gonna look back and, and if you don't write things down, you're not gonna remember what the Lord said to you. And you're not gonna remember what the Lord did to you. You're not gonna remember what the Lord delivered you from. Even if you take notes in the margin of your Bible. I know in my uh, New King James Bible, the, basically the Bible I've used for the 29 years I've been walking with the Lord, I mean, it is filled with notes of, of just what God has given me in the moment. So take notes because I want you to see the desperation. I want you to see desperation takes many different ways. It's not just worry. Daniel's not worried here, but he's desperate. 
because it comes in different ways. It can come in a very spiritual way. So notice with me, in verse 2, there are three things in chapter 10, verse 2, that open up here that show the desperation. First of all, um, in verse 3, I should say, number one, I had eaten no rich food. So number one, he is, well, let me catch up with you. Come back. Verse 2, it actually starts there. When the vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. So number one, he's been emotionally mourning for three weeks. Number two, he's also physically hungry because he's been fasting. And then that where he says, I've eaten no rich food and no meat or wine has crossed my lips. He's been spiritually fasting. So he's emotionally torn out. He's physically torn up. And then notice thirdly, and this is kind of a funny one, but he hasn't used any fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. So he's, he's very stinky. He hasn't taken a bath. He hasn't taken care of himself. He's probably been in what, you know, a position of mourning is in sackcloth and ashes. And so here he's in a place emotionally, physically, and even outwardly. And there's a seriousness in his distress. There's a seriousness as he considers what's up ahead. And you can jot it down in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, you have, well, let's turn there. 1 Corinthians, take your Bibles, turn over. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Of course, that's going to be to the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And notice Paul is in a similar position where he buffets his body or he beats his body down physically. He's mourning. He's fasting. Notice, pick up with me in chapter 9, verse 24. I love this. I hope you mark it, highlight it. Paul says, and I'm reading again from the New Living Translation. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He uses that word discipline, and it's not an outward discipline that comes from someone else. It's a personal discipline. I discipline my body like an athlete. I bring it in the New King James under subjection. And there are times when our outward man just isn't as important as our inward man. And that's why fasting is a very important discipline in your life. Some people have emailed me and said, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, you should call for a church-wide fast. And my answer so far has been, I really don't feel like the Lord's led me to call a church-wide fast. But for anyone that the Lord has spoken to to fast, church, fast. And you go to our website or our app, and you can just put in the word fasting. I've done a full Bible study on what fasting is and the different types of fast. But let me give you a summary because I believe that if fasting has been on your heart, then it is time to fast. And I know if the, God, if the Lord calls us to a church-wide fast, then I'll obey him. But I just haven't sensed that yet. I have sensed that release of the Holy Spirit speaking to you specifically. And if you have been thinking about fasting, then for goodness sake, fast. And here's what fasting is. You ready? The fasting is the purposeful neglect of some fleshly appetite in order to be strengthened and sharpened by the Lord. 
And fasting will help do that. It'll help you get serious. It'll help you get desperate. Fasting, like the foregoing of a meal or a day's worth of meals or a week's worth of meals or three weeks. Imagine fasting for three weeks, asking the Lord to speak. Fasting is often the answer of God's call to us. Jot it down, Psalm 27, verse 7. It says, hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Fasting is a wonderful spiritual discipline that's needed in our lives. If we do it with the right motives. It's not a fancy Christian diet plan. You know, well, I need to lose a few pounds anyway. No. No, you need to lose a few of those fleshly pounds. The ones that are worrying. The ones that are fearful. The ones that are overwhelmed with the flesh. Fasting will put a, it's, it's not a diet plan, it's a discipline plan. And if there's one thing that lacks in many believers, and perhaps you, it's spiritual discipline. I just want to call you back to reading your Bible and praying every day, church. I want to call you back to seeking him early in the morning. I want to call you back. I was reading today, one of the pastors forwarded me some insights from a, from a brother, another pastor has a podcast, and his podcast was on working at home. And, and I thought some of the principles weren't just good for working at home, they were good at living at home. And, and, and the principles were, and I don't remember them exactly, but I think the first one was wake up on time, take a shower, get dressed, and, and treat your day like it's a day as under the Lord. Or, or in this case, like it's a day you're going to work, because you are, you're working from home. And you're living at home. Listen, when we fast, when we set our hearts toward the Lord, he meets us. We learn there are at least three things. Again, jot them down. There are at least three things that happen when we fast. Number one, we learn of the great power of the Holy Spirit. God is ready to infuse power, baptizing you in the Holy Spirit, empowering you, filling you in and with his spirit. We learn the power that we have to deny ourselves, especially when it comes to food. There has just been a burden in my heart since this time uh, when this Bible study is delivered, we're in the midst of a stay-at-home order. I know it might air on the radio at a much later date, but I've just had a burden for, especially those serving alongside of me, to have a disciplined mind when it comes to food, to, to learn to live in the discipline of the Lord, not just to give in, Uh, Because we're going to be home a lot, uh, we're going to be around food a lot, and and we're going to be discomforted a lot. And a lot, many people turn to food as a a comfort. And they don't see it as, as, you know, well, they don't see gluttony, that sin of gluttony, as bad as they see the sin of pornography. But they're both sin. They're both sins of lacking self-control. They're both sins of not disciplining ourselves for the race that the Lord has called us to run. And can I just encourage you, church? Can I encourage you, pastors? Can I encourage you, leaders? Let's discipline ourselves for the race that God has set before us. And when you choose to fast, listen, I'm telling you, when you choose to fast, you will learn of the power of God to deny yourself. It's not just you. You have a power to worship deeply and to overcome temptation. Number two, when we fast, we learn our priorities get back in order. (laughs) When we start to fast, our minds are clear, 
Of course, you get over the hump. It takes about a day for me. It's that, that first evening or the second evening usually where I get these overwhelming head-splitting headaches. And it's like my body saying, you know what, Ed? Just take a snack. You know what, Ed? Just, just get up in the middle. Nobody will know. No, what do you mean nobody will know? I'll know. The Lord will know. I've made this commitment. And God has given me the power of his Holy Spirit. And my priorities, listen, my priority is not to feed myself. My priority is to please the Lord. And fasting will do that. Remember Jesus, when he taught about fasting, he didn't say it was optional. He said, when you fast. I mean, it, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. They're all in the same chapter, in the same section. And you know, we're faithful in our giving. Praise God for that. Thank you for your generosity and your faithfulness. Thank you for everyone that supports Grace FM and Abounding Grace. Thank you. Thank you for everyone that's tithing, that the giving of your tithes and offerings. May the Lord bless you and encourage you as you continue to obey. Thank you for everyone that prays. It so encourages me when I get an email or a text that says, Pastor Ed, I'm praying for you. Uh, I know when I'm monitoring the text line, you know, we have a prayer text line set up. When I'm monitoring that and I'm praying for you, it encourages me, but I'm encouraged when you pray for me, you pray for us, you pray for our families. And my priorities, like, it's not just giving, it's not just praying, but fasting. My priorities get back in order. And thirdly, when we fast, we gain a realization of the victory that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. That Jesus, the Bible says in another place that he always leads us in triumph. Check this out, Romans chapter six, verse 16. He says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Fasting combined with prayer is powerful. And there's a real strength in fasting. Can I just say this before we go to the rest of our time today? Calvary Church here in Aurora needs to become desperate again. I believe that's a word from God for us. We need to be desperate. We, we can't simply settle for the status quo. We can't just simply settle for I'm saved, I'm a believer, I, I've got it made, and I'm just gonna ride this out and I'm gonna ride into the sunset. The church needs to become, listen, you, the, I speak to the church at large, the, the body of church, capital C church. We need to be desperate again. Where's our desperation? We live in a day and in an age where our nation is going rapidly headlong down a path toward destruction. We live in a day and age where churches are not deemed essential, but liquor stores and marijuana shops, they're essential. That, that's our culture. Make sure everyone has their alcohol. Make sure everyone has their pot. Make sure everyone has their drugs. That's it. That's our culture. A culture that says, that calls good evil and evil good. Marriage is being redefined. Right is being called wrong. Wrong is being called right. God has been eliminated from our governments, our classrooms, and our society. Thank God for the believers that have infiltrated our culture and our society. Thank God for Christian mayors. Thank God for Christian governors. Thank God for Christian leaders that are in every area of culture. We need you. You are the salt and the light. But overall, the church needs to become desperate. I mean, do you get upset with all the babies that are being murdered in the womb? Do you get upset that 
50, 60, 70 churches close every week. Listen to that. 50, 60, 70 churches close every week. Pastors quit every day. And now with these challenges that we're facing, it could even be more. Doesn't that stir you? Your neighbor's not saved, your coworker, your boss. You're watching a nation, you're watching a culture implode. And, and what is their response? Their response is, we need one world leader. We need a one world government. We need somebody to save us. And they'll refuse, even as you read through the book of Revelation, they will refuse to the very end. Even when great stones, they're going to cry out. In the last days, they're going to be people crying out for stones to come upon them. Instead of crying, how prideful and arrogant. I was there. I was prideful and arrogant toward the things of God. And I wouldn't have cried out to God for anything. My wife would leave me, I wouldn't cry out to God. I'd wake up in a jail cell, I wouldn't cry out to God. It wasn't until God continued the series of breakings and humblings in my life. I didn't even know what he was doing. I didn't even know what was happening. The church needs to get desperate. Prayer and fasting. May we be stirred, because that's where Daniel, come back to Daniel 10. As we're only going to look at a few more verses, but I wanted you to get the, I wanted you to walk into this chapter to understand, even as a 90-year-old, this guy's desperate, man. He's desperate for the things of God. And those of you that are older, <laughs> I'm kind of in that category myself, but those of you that are older, 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years old, 50 like me, or a little over 50, God has a plan for you. He's not done with you. You didn't have desperate days when you were younger. Like, I'm so excited about what God's doing in the youth. I'm excited about the kids. I'm excited about what God's pouring out his spirit in all the generations. But he's not done with you. He's not done with your life. I mean, look at how much effort it was required for you to get online so you could be in church. But look at you did it. Let's get desperate for the things of God. I had precious Judy send me a picture today of her Easter service. You know, she usually sits right over here. I get to greet her every morning if, she's, if she makes it up. She's uh, facing serious cancer treatment right now. But, but she, called, she called me. She wanted to encourage me. And then as we were talking, I, as I talked to her on the way into the office today, uh, into the church building today to deliver this, she said, I want to send you this picture, but you have to promise not to laugh at me. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't make that promise. Uh, and we kind of go back and forth like that. But she sent me the picture right before service. I should have got it up so you could see, but I didn't get her permission to do that. And, 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 and it was her on, the, on, her, on her chair there with her blanket, with her mask on, with a little hat there. She was set up to worship with us for Easter. And I commend Judy in her 70s, saying, you know what, I'm not, God's not done with me. I'm gonna face whatever treatments I need. I'm gonna face whatever it is. I'm gonna fight this cancer, and I'm gonna stay desperate. I'm gonna pray for my kids. And you know, when, when we spoke, this is so cool, it's so encouraging, it was like a gift for God to me. One of the first things she shared, when she shared with me today, one of the first things she said is, you know, Ed, this time has given me, this time having to stay at home has given me time to reflect and in my time of reflection, I've just come to the knowledge and I've been reminded how good God has been to me. You know, God has been good to you too. And Daniel's here 85, 90 years old and he's desperate. He's still fasting for three weeks. He's still in a position of mourning over the condition of his country, mourning over the condition of his people, mourning under times of great war and hardship that are right up ahead, great difficulties. 
and he chooses to pray and fast. He chooses not to clean himself, but to be in a position and notice what happens on April 23rd, verse 4. Come back to Daniel 10. We'll wind down today. On April 23rd, I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, and I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing and a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem, and his face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and his feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. Verse 7, the men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. And then I heard the man speak. And when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Daniel has seen a lot in his lifetime. He's seen leaders come and go. He's had visions, dreams, images. I mean, the brother has been given favor. But this is the pinnacle of what he saw. He sees glory. He sees glory. It sends him to his knees. His strength left him. In verse 8, he became deathly pale. He felt very weak. What a description. What a description as he sees. And I agree with most commentators that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. What you would call a Christophany or a theophany. A pre-appearance of Jesus Christ before the womb of Mary. And you, add, you say, Ed, how, how, how did you get that? Well, look at his appearance. So hold your place in Daniel. Come with me to Revelation chapter 1. And let's look at the appearance that John gets many, many years later of this glorious revelation of Jesus Christ. And let's see if they don't have some similarities. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. So we're going to compare Revelation 1, and you can compare them point by point, but check this out, what John gets when he's on the island of Patmos. Then I turned to see who was speaking to me, and I saw seven golden lampstands, and standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were like white, like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held the seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth, and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. The vision of John, the appearance to Daniel, it's Jesus coming to comfort and encourage him in his distress and in his desperation. You know, the typical reaction of people that get a glimpse of glory is falling to your knees and losing it, just losing it. Again, jot it down in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember the revelation of glory that Isaiah got. You know, in chapter 5 of Isaiah, the chapter is filled with woes and judgment, woes and judgment. But he turns around and sees God. And listen, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. is Then I said, it's all over. Again, I'm reading from the New Living. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, and yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Woe is me. You know, it's chapter 5 is, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you, woe is you, and now, woe is me. Woe is me. It's all over, is how the New Living Translation. I mean, it's all over. 
I've seen the glory of God. Peter cries out in the presence of Jesus, remember, Luke chapter 5, verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. John the Revelator said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if we're dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. And the Bible teaches us that God wants fellowship. He wants relationship with us. He created us to enjoy him. He created us to enjoy fellowship. Now it's a Bible word. For those of you that are new to the Bible, fellowship means to share in common. You know, it's what good friends share. You know, good friends share memories. As I was growing up, my dad didn't have a lot of uh, close friends, but he had a few. And he would often go to visit his close friends uh, and he would take me with him sometimes as a kid. And what they would, I was so bored out of my mind while he was visiting his friends, um, not very far from us, Dick and Lois. He would go over to Dick and Lois's house and they would sit at the table and talk about the good old days for hours upon hours upon hours. And I was just stuck there with nobody to talk to and, and nothing to do as a kid. But I remember, now I know what God was doing. He was giving me an illustration of what intimacy, that was my dad's friend. And they shared a relationship together. They were connected in this brotherly friendship. And, it, and their friendship wasn't even in the Lord. Uh, they didn't talk about the things of the Lord. My dad didn't really, wasn't born again until later in his life. And I think of the unity that comes in friendship and fellowship. God has designed you to enjoy his goodness and to bask in his faithfulness, to grow in his grace, and to love his appearing. It's what God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. They enjoyed intimacy and relationship in the cool of the day. And how careful we must be not to lose sight of the glory of God. We can be so uh, upset and so worried. We look at a bank account, oh, woe is me. And we look at a relationship, it's broken, woe is me. We look at a lost job, woe is me. We look at grief, as I've seen personally, and woe is me. But you know where, where that needs to be is when I see God high and lifted up. It's not woe is me of my circumstances, it's woe is me in light of the glory of God. In light of the glory of God. When we come into that place of worship, holiness, righteousness that God is awesome so here's Daniel he's desperate he's weak emotionally he's weak physically he's praying he's fasting he's in the scriptures reading Jeremiah he's given insight of what's coming up ahead he's been given the most glorious vision chapter 9 the 70 weeks of Daniel and all that God wants to do and he's desperate and what happens in his desperation Jesus shows up in his glory and so many times, you know, maybe we don't get this. Uh, maybe we'll never get this glorious revelation of God. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm desperate to see the glory of God. I want to see him work in my life. I, I'm, I hunger and thirst for him. And I invite you to join me. Oh, I'm not a perfect man. Neither are you. You're not a perfect woman. You're not a perfect man. But God still encourages us to hunger and to thirst. And as we open his word, as we pray, and as we fast, and we give our tithes and offerings, as we serve, as we help, may we be struck by the vision of his glory and his majesty. Even if it means, like Daniel says in verse 7, I saw the vision, no one else saw it. Daniel was desperate. 
And in his desperation, he was seeking the Lord, wanting to stand in the gap for his country, for his people. And what's a desperate person to do? Well, desperation changes you. It'll, even change, it'll either change you to more despair or it'll change you to seek the glory of God. And so as the worship team comes back up today, I want to invite you, don't leave early. I want to invite you not to leave early today or anytime. Let's go all the way to the end. And I want to invite you to, 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 to lay your desperation before God. And just admit to him, maybe out loud, maybe with the kids there. They just, you know, they saw, oh, mommy had a meltdown or dad had a meltdown or kids had a meltdown. You know, being together, it's just been challenging. And just admit, I, I, God, I need to be desperate. Let it, let, it, let it speak through your house. I want my despair and my worry to be desperation for the things of God. I want to seek ye first the kingdom of God. I want to seek God and his kingdom. I, I like how it is. I, I probably should memorize it in the New Living Translation, but let, let's go back there. I, I, want, I love how he says it here, you know, where I memorize it, seek ye first the kingdom of God, but he says, uh, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. And just admit to him, choose to fast if the Lord's laying that. Let's lay aside food and Lay aside whatever it is just to fast and seek the Lord. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And if, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now, here, you and me. That you would repent of your sins and ask God to forgive you. He is the antidote to worry. There's a plan and a purpose for every true follower of Jesus Christ. Every man, woman, and child that will deny themselves and seek to follow him. And now on our live stream, we have a new, uh, a new thing there that they placed there that you can actually digitally raise your hand. I thought that's pretty cool. Or you can email us. Today, I want to invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you'll turn away from your sinful past and submit your life to him today. And here's how you do it. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me just read that to you from the New Living Translation. So it's just so encouraging. Um, sometimes I, I will quote scriptures from my memory and, and maybe miss a word here or there. So let me read to you from the New Living Translation. This is, Ro this is the Bible, Romans chapter 10. Listen, listen, like... God has made it so easy for you to be saved. And I don't mean easy believism because Jesus Christ paid the price. He died on a cross. He was beaten savagely. He died an innocent man. So I don't mean easy that way, but I mean easy for you. Listen, this is what the Bible says. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call him. And check this out. This is so encouraging. I know this is so encouraging. Listen. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you can openly declare your commitment to following Jesus. You could say this, dear God, I admit 
that I've sinned against you. And I believe, Jesus, that you live for me, you died for me, and I believe you rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I commit my life to following you today. And I'm asking you, God, to help me turn away from my sins, to overcome them, so that my life will honor you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed and asked God to change your life right now, I know, I know this for a fact. I know he heard you. And I know he won't cast you away. What I don't know is if it was sincere. What I don't know if you have any help. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is if you're watching online and you have that little clicker thing that says raise your hand, click that for us. Let us know. Uh, let us know that you responded. And then we have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer text line set up. And if you've been joining us for the last few weeks, you already know that. But I'm going to give you the number, anyone that's new. 720-336-0897. Would you text me? I'll see that text personally. Text me so I can pray with you and we can follow up with you. Because normally we'd give you a little packet here. I don't have one with me, but we have a little packet here that we would give you. But we have that online. And we want you to download that. We want you to print it out. So you can go to our website, calvaryco.church. I know it's a lot of information, but look, your life has radically changed. And so it's not a lot of information. We want you to know that we love you and we're committed to serving you. And if you truly repented of your sin today, God heard you. He heard you. Let's start following him. Let's get desperate for the things of God. Let's follow in this guy's Daniel's footsteps, 90 years old maybe. Maybe as old as 90 years old, and the guy's still desperate. That's how I want to be. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to throw away days that God has given me to live, but I want to live them in full faith, and I want you to join me. So let's just, wherever you are, let's stand together and sing this song. If you need prayer, text us. Doesn't, you don't need to come to our church. We'll pray for you. You're part of our church anyway because you're watching online. You're, you're listening on Grace FM. You're in our church. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We love you. We're committed to serve you. So let's sing this song to him. Hands lifted up. If you need prayer, text us, email us, tell us so we can pray for you. God bless you guys. Until next time, may the Lord encourage and strengthen you. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.